Section 73 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 10 The Warnings of the Sea. He was awakened in the middle of the night abruptly, and as though jerked by a spring, he opened his eyes. The duvre above his head were illuminated as by the reflection of a great white glow. Over the whole dark front of the reef was a light, like the reflection of a fire. Whence came that fire? From the water. The appearance of the sea was extraordinary. It seemed as though the water were on fire. As far as the eye could reach, inside the reef and beyond, the whole sea was in a blaze. This blaze was not red. It had nothing of the great living flame of craters and furnaces. No sparkle, no heat, no crimson, no noise. Bluish trails on the waves imitated the folds of a winding sheet. A large pallid light shivered over the water. It was not a conflagration. It was the specter of one. It was something like the livid illumination of a sepulchre by an unearthly flame. Let the reader imagine burning shadows. Night, the vast, troubled, and diffused night, seemed to be the fuel of this chilly fire. It was an indescribable brilliance composed of blindness. Gloom entered as an element into that phantom light. The mariners of the channel are acquainted with all these indescribable phosphorescences, which are full of warnings for the navigator. They are nowhere more surprising than in the Grand V near Isigny. In this light objects lose their reality. A spectral inner light renders them transparent, as it were. Rocks are no longer anything but lineaments. The anchor cables seem bars of iron raised to a white heat. The nets of the fishermen, under water, seem of knitted fire. One half of the oar is of ebony, the other half, beneath the wave, is silver. The drops of water stud the sea with stars as they fall from the oar. Every boat trails a comet behind it. The sailors, wet and luminous, seem like men on fire. One plunges one's hand into the water and withdraws it gloved in flame. This flame is dead. One does not feel it. Your arm is a blazing brand. You see the forms which are in the sea rolling along beneath the water as in a liquid fire. The foam sparkles. The fish are tongues of fire and fragments of serpentine lightning in the pale depths. This light had struck across Gilead's closed lids. It was this that had wakened him. His waking was opportune. The tide had ebbed. A new flood tide was beginning. The smokestack of the engine, disengaged during Gilead's sleep, was on the point of entering once more the yawning wreck above it. It was slowly rising towards it. Only a foot was lacking before the smokestack would enter the Durand once more. It requires about half an hour for the tide to rise a foot. If Gilead desired to take advantage of this deliverance, which had again become doubtful, he had half an hour before him. He started to his feet. Urgent as was the situation, he could not help standing for a few moments, gazing at the phosphorescence and meditating. Gilead knew the sea thoroughly, although it was angry with him 
and although often ill-treated by it, he had long been its companion. That mysterious being called the ocean could have nothing in its thoughts that Gilead could not divine. Gilead, by dint of observation, reverie, and solitude, had become a weather prophet, what is called weather-wise. Gilead ran to the ropes and paid out more cable. Then, as it was no longer held by the small bower anchor, he seized the boat hook, and bearing against the rocks, he pushed the boat towards the entrance, a few fathoms beyond the Durand, and quite close to the barrier. He had du rang, as the Guernsey sailors say. In less than ten minutes the paunch was withdrawn from beneath the stranded carcass. No more danger of the smokestack being caught in the trap again. The tide must rise now. But Gilead had not the air of a man who is on the point of taking his departure. He looked at the phosphorescence again and raised his anchors. But it was not to start. His intention was to moor the boat afresh and very firmly near the exit. Up to that time he had used only the two anchors of the boat, and he had not as yet made use of the little anchor of the Durande, which he had found among the rocks, as the reader will remember. This anchor he had placed all ready for emergencies in one corner of the paunch, with a quantity of hawsers and pulleys, and its cable very solidly made fast in advance, with stoppers which prevented its dragging. Gilead let go this third anchor, taking care to attach the cable to a small rope, one end of which was fastened to the ring of the anchor, and the other end of which was rigged to the windlass of the boat. In this manner he effected a sort of triple mooring, much stronger than moorings with two anchors. This denoted lively anxiety and a redoubling of precautions. A sailor would have recognized in this operation something similar to anchoring in a stormy weather, when a current is to be feared, which might set the vessel to the leeward. The phosphorescence which Gilead was watching, and on which he kept his eye fixed, was threatening, perhaps, but aided him at the same time. Without it he would have been the prisoner of slumber, and the dupe of the night. It had awakened him, and it gave him light. It produced an equivocal daylight on the reef, but this brilliancy, disquieting as it appeared to Gilead, had this advantage it rendered the danger visible to him, and made his maneuvering possible. Hereafter, when Gilead should desire to set sail, the boat bearing the machinery was free. Only Gilead seemed to be thinking less and less of departure. The boat being secured, he went in search of the stoutest chain in his storehouse, and attaching it to the spikes driven into the two Douvres, with this chain he fortified on the inside the rampart of planks and beams already protected on the outside by the other cross-chain. Instead of opening the exit, he barricaded it more completely. The phosphorescence still lighted him, but was decreasing. The daybreak was beginning to appear. All at once Gilead bent his ear and listened. End of chapter 10 The Warnings of the Sea